one of the things that I had silently said to myself when I was in middle school is that if I ever... Hey, what's up, y'all? My name is Gary, and welcome to the second season of It's Personal. Okay, good. This is going to be really dope, but I don't want any... <laughs> Putting yourself out there as practitioners who are growing and learning. Not at all. My name is Kwame Mbalia. I'm an author. I'm Padma Venkatraman, the author of The Bird Home. Sure, yeah. My name is Natasha Diaz. Code switching and all those things. I mean, all of that. All the time. I mean, he's still on the road all the time, but you know, like, as a new mom. The relationships that I have cultivated from there. I'm so excited to talk to you. This is amazing. This is so fun. I would like Harriet Tubman, try to create a roadmap that I could share with other marginalized youth so that they could follow my steps and also make it out. And what I mean by make it out is not just make it out and keep going, but um, because anyone who knows me knows that I still have a very strong connection with Red Hook. Um, there's an organization called the Red Hook Initiative. President Obama, forever my president, he um, awarded the Red Hook Initiative a Champion of Change Award. And they contacted me and they had said, listen, we want you to come back to Red Hook and do rites of passages for our middle school males. So I would come in, I would do sessions with them and I would use my books, uh, Secret Saturdays, Tight, and I would use them to to unpack the um, roadmap that got me to where oh, I am. Wow. So, so, so Secret Saturdays actually is kind of like Jay-Z's Decoded. Jay-Z mm-hmm. Decoded, he lays out the blueprint on how he makes it. And in Secret Saturdays, I lay out um, lots of steps that my community did to get me to where I am today. And then Tight is a continuation of that. Um, and then my last, my next book that just dropped this week, that it also continues laying out the bl- blueprint. So whatever I don't say now, mm-hmm. I encourage listeners to look at the books. But mm-hmm. what I do want to say is one of the things that got me through is that saying by Marion Wright Edelman, it takes a village to raise a child. There's so many people in the village that my mom got. My mom got corner store workers. My mom got, um, you know, Who's hustling outside, my mom got, you name it. Wherever I went, people were looking out for me and and they were looking out for me in a very specific way. This is an interesting formula for success. You know, if you take a sponge and you dip dip that sponge in clean water, it's gonna absorb that color, right? It's gonna be clear. But if you take sponge and you dip it in dirty water, it's gonna absorb that color and it's gonna take on that, that, that dirtiness. My mom did a Jedi mind trick on me. She would tell everybody in the projects that I was a writer. I was this little, you know, Michael Jackson, Afroed out tween, and I wasn't a writer. However, I would cross the street and I remember someone who was like an uncle would yell out to me, ew, yo, here comes the writer. When are you gonna write me a chapter? You know, and, and wow. what they were doing was they was they were taking my brain and they were dipping it in the self-fulfilling prophecy waters of mm-hmm. 
going to be a writer. He's going to be a writer. So then it got to the point where, you know, I would see women who were friends of my sisters and they would say, hey, look at you. How you doing? Listen, you write poetry. I heard you write poetry. And you want to write me a poem. And it was just working on my brain. And, you know, over time, the belief is that it cemented. You know, um, mm-hmm. another thing, so, so definitely the village, it helped me mm-hmm. get through. Another thing that helped me avoid a lot of the traps of projects life is uh, my mom. You know, um, my mom, the things that she would tell me and the things that she would do. One of the things that my mom did is she used to take me by the hand when I was a little boy and she would walk me out of the housing projects. And my mom is hilarious because she's the type of mom who's like, oh, um, we're just going to walk two blocks and you end up walking 30 blocks. We're just going to walk a little bit. And then we walk from one neighborhood, 20 neighborhoods over. It's just, it was wild. But where she used to bring me a lot was to author readings. We would go to these author readings and I would sit there and my mom would ask me one question. And this is the craziest because my mom would ask me this question and she didn't even know about Maya Angelou at the time. Mm -hmm. She didn't know about Maya Angelou's quote at the time. At the end of every author presentation, my mom would say, how did you feel? about that person. Wow. She didn't ask me what I thought about the person. She asked me how I felt. And later when I got older, I discovered Maya Angelou's quote, people will forget what you say, but they will always remember how you, what, them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how you, how you made them mm-hmm. feel. So mm-hmm. that, you know, my mom was, the village was helping me, helping guide me to where I am today. And then my mom was taking me and exposing me to another world. And I was realizing that the world was bigger than my zip code. The world mm-hmm. was bigger than my stoop. The world was bigger than my block. So my mom was helping me that way. And then my mom, the little gems, the little wisdoms that she would put in my head, that was helping me too. Like good, better, best. Never let it rest until your good gets better, your better gets best. The things that she would tell me about, listen, when you talk to somebody, you want to you wanna ask yourself, how are you making this person feel? You know, um, those those types of things. But I have to have to give props to an army that my mom created. My mom turned my three sisters into a battalion. I'll never forget this one day. I, my, my, you know, my, I can hear my boys now being like, "Why are you telling this story for?" <laughs> You know, because there's this, this um, pressure to, to look hard, and especially where we come from. Here's the reality. You know, um, I, was, I, was, I was hard comparatively, but I wasn't Tupac. I wasn't a thug. <laughs> so I remember one time I came out of elementary school and I hated the trip from the, 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 my elementary school to my house. The reason why is we had to pass from the elementary school to the tall projects. And I lived in the short projects. And the tall projects is where a lot of shady activity, a lot of fights, a lot of the things that kids want to avoid happen there, the tall projects. I remember one day I was walking by and I saw a group of guys who, they were always messing with kids. And I thought to myself, I'm gonna go the other way. So me in my, in my infinite smoothness, I go the other way. 
and they saw me dip the other way. So they cut me off. Right. And I'll never forget, yo, they took me, <laughs> they lifted me up wedgie style. And from the back of my hand-me-down jeans that I got from my sister, they hung me on a fence. <laughs> Dude, I went back home after I figured out how to get off of that fence. And I didn't tell my sister because you know how family is. Family could see is written on your face. I got home and my sister said, what's wrong with you? And I said, mm. and then she said, no, what's what happened? And I told her, and I named dudes. Do you know she took me right in that moment, right back to the scene of the bullying. And she threatened to fist fight each one of the dudes. She told them, like, give me a fair one. Right now, I'll, I'll fist fight you. And, and it was the strength that she had. I mean, this is what my sisters were constantly doing. They were constantly stepping up for me and fighting for me, but they were also teaching me how to fight for myself. Personal, 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 personal. And so my sisters definitely, they um, had my back. Wow. I, want, I want them to say something about that too, about my sisters, because them having my back also helped me become a writer. Mm -hmm. um, inadvertently. That, is it cool if I share that story? Yeah. We oh, got time. Right. We got time, bro. Okay, good. All right. <laughs> awesome. So this is, this is something that happened. Um, so I become the first person in my, my family to go to college. I'm there. And I wanted to become the next J.K. Rowling. I wanted to write the next Harry Potter. And no matter how much I got into fantasy, how much I wrote fantasy, I always kept writing stories about the village mm. that raised me. And it made me realize that there's another part to the quote. You know, that we have that quote, it takes the village to raise a child. What I had discovered is if the village raises the child, the child has a village mentality. And my stories was, was always about the village. It was always about brotherhood and sisterhood and things that would get us through. It was always about laying out a roadmap, like my books, to get marginalized pe people from one place to living their dreams. And I'll never forget, but it was one break that we had from college and my friends, you know, I, I was lucky to have lots of different friends um, from, from different socioeconomic levels. But a lot of my friends, they didn't have to struggle the way I had to struggle. Um, I used to have to borrow money to, to leave campus just to take the train back to Brooklyn. And there was one break where I, I, it was a winter break and I needed to make some money. And I'm back in the Red Hook Projects. And I remember my sister, my sister said, you know, um, you know the saying, a bird in the hand is worth more than a bird in the bush. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. My sister had a totally different saying. She said, something beats a zero. So my, 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 my most immediate sister, the one closest to me, she told me, she said, T, you know, you don't have any money. You know, mommy doesn't have any money. We don't have any money. You know, um, what are you going to do over the break? I said, I need to get some money. I need to make, you know. She said, well, something beats a zero. She said, just go somewhere and just try to find, you know, just try to try to apply to places. So I traveled out of Red Hook Project 
to where I live now, to 7th Avenue um, in Brooklyn. And I went to a bookstore. And this was also inspired by my conversation with my sister. My sister asked me, she said, well, what do you think you could do? What are you into? And I said, well, I'm into, I like books. You know, I like, I like, um, I like you know, reading or writing. She said, so why don't you go to a bookstore? Why don't you try to apply to a bookstore? So I went to, and, and you went like this, because you know where this is going, right? Mm-hmm. So I go to 7th Avenue. I walk from Red Hook up to, to 7th Avenue. I go into a bookstore. And the, the woman who's there, she um, has not filled out the application. The whole time, though, she's giving, giving me double glances and, and side-eyeing me like I don't belong. And then comes the interview portion. You know, we go into the back, we sit down, and she says, okay, so tell me some of the authors that you've read. <laughs> right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. We laugh for the same reason. Because I didn't grow up reading the books that she read. I didn't grow mm-hmm. up reading the books that that bookstore stocked on the shelves. Um, yeah, I was a reluctant reader. You know, when I was, my mom, my mom hates this story. So I'm, I'm telling, I'm, I'm sharing something with you. It's funny, I'm sharing it on a podcast because how many people is going to reach, right? I can hear my mom now. You decided to share that story. At all the stories, you decided to share that story. My mom likes to say that I was a genius. Like I was born writing. It's not true. You know, in elementary school, I had unplugged from books and from school so hard because a lot of the books that we were forced to read, they were, um, they, they criminalized us, they, they stereotyped us, or we weren't in the books, or, you know, we were the sidekicks, and I didn't like those books. So I unplugged, and my mom told me in elementary school, after transferring me out of one school that I got held over and I had to repeat the grade in that school, she transferred me to another school. She said, listen, I'll make a deal with you. You can read anything you want. I'll buy it for you. But you have to read. So I got hooked on comics and I fell in love with the storytelling in comics. And then as I got older, I fell in love with the storytelling in hip hop. And, and side note, you know Bismarcky? Yeah, yeah. Go oh, baby, you. <laughs> Him and my sister dated. <laughs> what? The sister that I told you about, who, who said she was gonna fist fight each one of those dudes <laughs> who hung me up on the pole. They dated each other. And, and what happened was, there's another whole other story that I'm gonna share offline with you about that. <laughs> anyway, um, so, so fast forward now, my sister tells me, I'm in college, I don't have money, I'm on a job interview at a bookstore that she said, you know, go, if you like books, go to a bookstore and see if you can get a job. And I'm interviewing, and the ladies ask me, what do you, what do you like? to read and I didn't have any answers for it. And then I started to say, well, you know, I like um, comics. Oh my God, the look she gave me. Not reading. And then I told her, I said, <laughs> um, you know, uh, I like stories, like some of the storytellers. And I started actually naming in the interview, Rakim, Guru from Gangstar. I started naming, you know, and, and she didn't know any of these rappers at the time. And, um, it was this disconnect. And what happened is I left that They're not, they're not writers, right? They're not writers. No, they're not writers, right? <laughs> to them, they're not writers. However, you heard uh, Black Thought's 10-minute freestyle? 
right? Yeah, tell me that's not no. writing. <laughs> tell me that's not writing. And so, so I went from that bookstore, I went to another bookstore and same experience. You know, I wasn't what they were looking for. And I went back to Red Hook and I said, so, so what happened? You got a job? And I was like, nah, I didn't get any work. I went to these bookstores and they said that, you know, I don't know, I think they were looking for somebody else. So she told her boyfriend at the time, her boyfriend had to connect at a factory. So I talked to her boyfriend, her boyfriend goes, look, you know, um, you can make some money, some good money. Uh, so go, go here to this factory on 4th Avenue. I go over there at this time and, um, you know, just, just give it a shot. So I go to this factory. Have you ever seen Boiler Room with Vin Diesel? Boiler, Boiler Room, it's this, it's this movie where all these guys crowd into this uh, office space and they're learning secrets of sale, of mm -hmm. selling, right? But they're selling illegal stuff. Um, I don't know if the stuff we were selling was illegal. I don't think it was illegal. <laughs> but I go to this factory and there's, there's about 50 young guys like me and we're all there and the guy gets up and the, the, the leader of you know the person who's running the meeting he says listen we have these boxes over there these boxes are filled with trinkets you know like socks they're filled with pens they're filled with toys you're going to sign out a box and you wherever you go sell everything in the box and you bring that cash back and then we'll give you a sizable cut of, of whatever you sold so I used to sell while I was in college you ever been on a, like a New York City train and somebody come up to you while you're sitting there and they try to sell you something I was yeah. that kid I was that wow. kid wow. and I would go up to people and I would sell socks on the train I would sell pens on the train I would whatever sell uh -huh. whatever and I have to tell you, learning how to sell that way is something, selling is something that I encourage every teacher and every writer to learn how to do. Because you know, as an educator, mm -hmm. a large part of connecting with young people is sales. Mm -hmm. And... And, and and then I feel like you know that um, salesmanship also comes through in writing, too. I try to you know write something that's unputdownable that you want to buy it. Wow, wow, Toya, there's something about this. So I have so many questions for you. There's something one about number one, like just the black community um, in general, or the projects in general. Um, Latinx communities, like all these communities that have this sense of like family and where the continuous story that I hear from authors of these communities um, is the village. And the continuous theme that I also hear within just their voice and what they're trying to share with people from their community, people that look like them, is that there are people, not just one or two people, um, there's a group that are there to support you. Um, and yeah. I think that hits on so many levels. That is exactly what our youth need right now is for them to know that there are multiple people out there to help you. 
there are systems out there to help you. Um, mm -hmm. Though there are so many systems out there that are trying to um, or continue to um, make us feel a certain way, um, there are things in place to make us see that there's hope. And yes. I think you just said it. Like I, I have like almost exact same stories. Like going out, seeing people in my community, and them just knowing that like this is someone who has ideas. This is someone who wants to do other things without me even having a conversation. But obviously my mom or my dad or my grandmother or someone has already gotten to them. So they may not, you may not even know who that person is, but they already know you, <laughs> which is oh, yeah. amazing, which is amazing. Um, my other question is, I think you talk a lot about your mom. Where is um, your dad in these situations and what type of influence has he had in your life? Yeah. Uh, when, pe when young readers read my first book, Secret Saturdays, they ask, was that your father? Mm -hmm. And yes, you know, that was my father. Um, when people read um, tight, they ask, you know, um, did that happen to you? And yes, that happened to me. Um, my father, you, you asked a really great question that I want to circle back to. You asked, what happened with me? How did I go from being a young boy on welfare, you know, in the housing projects to becoming a teacher and to becoming an author? Like, what, what, what helped me get here? Mm -hmm. And to go back to that question, you know, it was the village. And my, my pops, he didn't have the village. He didn't have that village around him, protecting him and, and nurturing him and guiding him to avoid traps. And he got caught up. And my father was in and out of jail my whole life. And he's dead now. Wow. I'm sorry to hear that. And I think it's one of those things that you... Again, I think at times you, you sometimes you can do as much as you can possibly do, right? For family, with the family, um, and sometimes circumstances take over, right? Um, and unfortunately, communities like ours, there's times like that happen. They happen all the time, right? Yeah. They happen all the time. You know, and, and it's something that you had mentioned that I'd love to like underline, embolden, italicize mm -hmm. is our young people have lifelines. Our young people have village members, supports, hope, you know. Um, I'll never forget, I wanna tell, tell a quick story. I, I was invited to speak, this was years before I had any books published. I was invited to speak at an organization for young black boys. And I come in and I said something that was prophetic for me. It was something that I didn't realize at the time, the, the richness and the treasure that was locked up in what I was saying. I, I told the, the young brothers, I said, my dream, my, my real dream, because they asked me, they said, well, what do you want to do? Like, you know, you're a teacher, but what would you, if you could wave a magic wand, what would you do? And I said, my dream, I would, I would write a book 
from our perspective, that's the story of goodwill hunting. Mm. And, oh. and I didn't realize at the time that that was the book that I needed. And then I wrote Secret Saturdays. And I remember being at a Barnes and Noble and someone came up to me and was like, I love this book. This book reminds me of <laughs> Goodwill Hunting. Wow. I said, wow. I said this years ago. This is what I went to create. You say that again, say that again. And so <laughs> I have to tell you, one of the reasons why I bring that up is because it connects to what you had said about the hope. You remember the scene where, um, well, the whole movie it, it basically will being helped by Robin Williams, mm -hmm. the psychologist, mm -hmm. but, refusing, but refusing the help, right? Refusing and resisting the help, refusing. And then that scene where he cries in the room with him, he says, it's not your fault. It's not mm -hmm. your fault. And something cracks. And then mm -hmm. he's able to accept the help. I think, a lot, I think one of the messages that I want, that I, that I, I often try to um, impart to the young people who I teach and also the young people I meet through reading is when you're thirsty and you get that water, drink it. Mm -hmm. When you need a open hand and the hand is outstretched to help you try to grab it. And unfortunately, our minds um, have been rewired from trauma. I heard this quote one time that, I, that, I, that hit me. It was so powerful because it was like a Roberta Flack moment. I was like, this, this dude is Roberta Flacking. He was strumming my pain with his fingers. <laughs> the dude said, our human minds are wired for connection. Right. But trauma rewires our mind for mm -hmm. protection. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So sometimes wow. I, I have to admit, when I was younger, people did come for me and they tried to help me. And I refused it because trauma had rewired my brain not mm -hmm. to trust. You know, So one of the themes that shows up in all of my books is trust. Like who, who like my, my most recent book, What Lane, raises the question of who should be in your lane? Who deserves to be in your lane? And who needs to be out of your lane? Mm -hmm. And whoever's in your lane, you know, are they really helping you get drive to your dream? And those are the people you need to keep around. So how do you treat friends? Mm -hmm. How do you create that circle that's going to support you? Right? Yes, creating that circle mm -hmm. of support. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. I don't even know. Like, I wish I don't want to go back and listen to this like so many times. So many nuggets in there, man. Holy, so many nuggets. So now I guess my question well, we, is, well that, that makes me feel good because <laughs> you, you and I are in the same boat. I, some of your podcasts I was listening to over and over again. I'm telling you, man. Like that at one I, point I was like, I, am I really going to listen to this podcast a third time? Yeah, I'm going to listen to this a third time. <laughs> It's crazy because like for me, and I told you like part of it is like having the conversation, but listening to to just educators talk about their stories and just making that connection itself, it just gives me energy, man. Um, so we're not finished yet, but do I do appre I do appreciate these stories so much because again, as you're telling them, 
and thinking about times like being home. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you, and I want, and you mentioned a little bit in the very beginning. Um, often when um, we say like you made it is, and you you get out, you get out, so to speak. Um, you often the community um, they can feel a certain way about it, or people can feel a certain way about it. Um, and you said it before I even mentioned it. You said like I've got I was out or I left, but I still had like the projects in me like it was still in my heart I was still giving back still connected um what was that feeling or first initially um getting out so to speak and um what was the transition coming back mm. what was that what was that like Ooh, I remember one time I was on break from Vassar College and I was hanging on my stoop <laughs> we're all hanging on the stoop and I might as well have broken to that song, making my way downtown, walking fast, because it was some very white song that wasn't rock in, in my housing project. I started singing it and it was just, it just flew out of me. And one of my boys looked at me like, what happened? What happened to you? <laughs> so, you know, um, we we fortunately i was able to 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 leave red hook projects and go into other circles and integrate certain other things into my personality but all of that stuff it reminds me of a line from jay-z jay-z says um you know you could change the top layer but you are who you are when you got there and the reality is all of my experiences were layers on top of a core bedrock. And that core bedrock was rooted in my Red Hook community um, wow. and rooted in my Brooklyn community. And I, I couldn't change if I wanted to. And this is one of the reasons why. In tight, the mom runs, she works at a community center. That's my mother. I have an 11 year old daughter and I remember I was listening to her on the phone. She was talking about um, the volunteering spirit, people who volunteer and help people. And she mentioned all of these relatives. She didn't mention my mother. Um, and it hit me. My mom is 80. My daughter didn't grow up with my mom the way I grew up with my mom. So I went to Facebook and I typed in, there's a, a Red Hook Projects alumni Facebook page, and I typed into Facebook, you know, listen, my daughter is doing this school project where she's talking about people who volunteered and helped out, and she doesn't really know about my mom. Could people maybe say a few kind words about my mom or anything you remember about her? There was over 900 different responses wow. from people talking about how my mom changed their life. And then one person said, you don't know this, but here's a survey. They did a survey on the most influential people no. in Red Hook Projects. No. And in the 1980s, during the height of the crack epidemic, they voted my mom one of the most influential people in the wow. projects. My mom, she ran a, a GED program. A did you know this? Program. Did you know this? I didn't know any of it. Like I, I knew, I knew of my mom's impact in the community mm -hmm. from people who I saw 
changed their lives as a result mm. of my mom. I knew her impact on the community from what I saw, but I didn't know I didn't reach, know how deep the rabbit hole went mm-hmm. and, and, her, and the extent to her reach. And so what happened was um, my mom even forgot it because I, I called, called my mom, said, Mom, I'm going to pick you up. I'm going to bring you over to the house, you know, we're going to hang out. So I picked her up, bring her over to the house, I put the Facebook page up, and I let her read it. She started crying. She's like, oh, my mm-hmm. God, I didn't realize that people, she said, I tried as hard as I could. And I didn't know that I was getting through the way I, I got through. It was amazing. So what she had was she had a community um, center where it was a GED program. Anyone who dropped out of high school, she tried to persuade people who dropped out of high school in the community to go back and get a, a general equivalency diploma, which was just as good as a high school. Well, she, get, she helped over 900 high school dropouts get their GEDs. So my mom, I, like, like the boy, Brian and tight, he watches his mom and his mom is rubbing off on him. That's me. I was Brian and I was watching my mom and my mom was rubbing off on me. So when I got older, I'll never forget I was in college and I was about to graduate. And I don't know if it's still doing that. 